0: All right, we are in a three week mini series um, talking about the church. And in my opinion, uh, the importance of this series cannot be overstated. Uh, and that says nothing about the quality of the sermons per se, it's the topic matter. Um, just based on where we've been culturally, the separation that we've had physically um this is just really needed for us to be reminded what is the church so last week we answered that question uh by saying the church is the body of christ okay so as adam went to sleep to create his wife jesus went to sleep to create his bride the church So similar to the way that Eve was made from the body of her husband, Adam, the church is made from Jesus, from his death. So Christians are made from Jesus and for Jesus. We are his body. In a spiritual sense, this refers to Jesus' church. So Jesus then is the head of his body, the church, and then we as the church play roles within his body. So the church is not merely just a bunch of people. It is a sacred entity that has been put together by God himself. It is intended intended to function like a body, meaning that individual parts are dependent on one another for their proper function. But all of our functions work together together. Not so that we can make much of ourselves, not so that we can look good, but they work together to point or or to point back to and to make much of Jesus, who is our head. So the intention for the church then is that we are a body. We are a family, a family that will last, that has eternal consequences, a family that will endure and a family that is engaged in a salvation project. Now, we're in a season where the importance of the church has likely dwindled in many of our eyes. Whether that's conscious or unconscious, whether we're aware of it or not, it likely has happened. So, without encouraging a legalistic practice, my hope in this series is to provide reminders As to what the church is, why the church is important, and who it is that it's about. So today we're answering the question, what is the church this way? It is the gathering of Christ. The church is the gathering of Christ. Now, this topic was planned at the beginning of the year. So it was not my initial plan that this sermon would be preached on our first Sunday that we are gathering together in six months. But God has his ways in all of this, and it probably makes some of us, at least me, just kind of chuckle. Now, I want to qualify what I'm saying this morning with this. If you are at home this morning, my call to gather as a church, and us talking about gathering as a church is not a passive-aggressive call. I am not in any way taking a subtle shot at those who are not physically here. So I want to be really explicit about this. I am going to call us to gather. I'm going to say that this is normative for the church, but this is not a criticism of those who are at home this morning. God's call is that we would gather together. We should yearn for that. We should desire for that. We should make sacrifices for that to happen. But I understand that we're dealing with a dynamic in our culture that is very unique. Some have health issues. Others have concerns. And there are legitimate risks in all of this. And so, as the gospel calls us, to grace, we also are called to grace in how we view those who are at home and those who are here. All right, so what I want to do this morning is I want to start near the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3. We read there, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden, talking about Adam and Eve. He drove out the man. So soon after God created Adam and Eve, he is taking action that highlights separation. God is sending Adam and Eve out of their home, the home that he has created for them. So what we see happening here is a form of de-gathering from God. Adam and Eve are indicative of all of humanity. This is our reality. We have been separated from God because of our sin. And this is not good. And the emphasis on separation resulting from our sin is going to continue over and over as we would turn the pages of the Bible. So right after Genesis 3, we're going to hear about the story of Adam and Eve's children and two of their boys named Cain and Abel. And in that story, one of their sons, Cain, kills another son, Abel. So again, we see how sin is dividing, it is killing. And this is not good. And this is the story of the early world. Okay, there is increasing corruption. You look at the world, and we could describe it as being cursed. Some might say it is God forsaken, so much so that God sends a flood, and that flood wipes out most of the world. And then after that, people begin to congregate again over the years. But God again is going to disperse those people who had come together to make their name great. So through the first 11 chapters of the Bible, we would look there, and if we think about this idea of gathering, we would say there's not a lot of hope. For gathering. Like, what is going on here? What we see is people come together and God separates them. He de gathers them. Years later, in Genesis 12, we hear God coming to a man named Abram. And this is what he tells Abram Leave your father's house and go to a land I will show you. So here he's telling Abram, be separated, de-gathered from your family and go to a land that I tell you. And here in God's command to Abraham, we get a whisper of something good, of something profound. Maybe God has not forgotten. Maybe God has not forgotten his people. Maybe God will do something to save, to reconcile, to in a sense, regather. And God is doing something here in Genesis 12 that will happen over and over. He is taking someone, He is taking a sinner who is far from Him, and He is bringing that sinner to a good land. He is bringing that sinner to a land where God is. He is bringing someone near to himself. He's bringing this individual to a land that is filled with promises. And so Abram goes, and he will eventually be called Abraham. Now what we find throughout the biblical story, especially in the Old Testament, is a continual interplay where Israel... God's chosen people, the people that he has gathered together, would sin against God. Okay, so God brings them to this land that's called the promised land. He gathers them there. But then Israel sins against God over and over. And what this results in is God's judgment and ultimately exile from that land so israel would be driven out of the good land that god had given to them and this happened repeatedly but god true to his word and his nature would graciously rescue his people they would be scattered because of their sin but god because of his faithfulness would gather them back together to the land In one sense, we could say he gathered them back to himself. But we see this idea of gathering happening in a number of other ways throughout the Old Testament. God provided ways for his people to gather with him. So as his people were slaves in Egypt, God rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. But then they disobeyed him right away. Then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and as they wandered, there was a tabernacle that God instructed his people to build. And in that tabernacle, God said his presence would reside. So, as, and this was the place where Israel could come to gather, but most importantly, to gather with God. As Israel then was established in the promised land, as God brought them to this promised land, There was also a structure, a temple, where they were to regularly gather and worship God. There were also festivals instituted that people were called to observe, and these were opportunities to gather in God's name and to remember what God had done for them through the specific emphasis of the festival there were also prophets sent by God to speak to his people and to declare a message that caused people to be brought near to be gathered to God So, so there's all these different ways in which God is seeking to gather his people to himself and so much of it focuses on the land but we see an interesting shift occurring throughout the old testament From the Garden of Eden to Egypt to Canaan, the Promised Land, there's been this emphasis on land. The land held deep significance for Israel as it related to God's promises and his faithfulness. But as exiles from the land continue, the seeming importance of the land wanes. The land offered rest for the people. It offered them provision. But what the people began to see is that the rest that the land offered them was not sufficient. And so the land that, the, uh, that offered rest, it, it, it wasn't enough. But the, that land, the promised land, was there. It was given to point people to a greater rest, to true rest that would be found in a person. Whose name was Jesus. The land proved provide or the land proved unable to provide people the security and the prosperity that they longed for. But in Jesus we find what we long for. He is the answer to the ache within our hearts. Jesus is the promised land where we find rest and provision and all. Good things. In John 12, 32, Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So notice here, Jesus is saying, I am going to draw people to me, to myself, to a person. The point is not a land, the point is not a location, the point is Jesus Himself. We also see a progression occur regarding God's people. So in the Old Testament, we see this emphasis on Israel. This is the nation that God had gathered together. But as prophets speak to the nation of Israel, they cast this vision that expands their idea of God's people from Israel to all nations. And this will become all the more as we get into the New Testament and the emphasis Becomes on this greater gathering in of all nations of the world, which is really good for those, really good news for those of us who are not Jewish, because that speaks to our reality. So, what we see happening throughout the biblical story is that sin occurs, and it is sin that scatters, that fractures. That separates. God is the one who then gathers, who reconciles, who brings back together, who puts together that which is broken. So the physical example, examples given in the old testament, the physical examples given in the old testament are symbols of a greater spiritual reality. Exile from the promised land is akin to. To sin separating us from God. And Jesus comes to resolve our separation from God. This is our greatest issue. Sin is our greatest issue. It is what separates us from God. The chasm between us and God is really the only chasm that matters for us in this world. And Jesus has come to resolve the issue of our separation from God because of our sin. He has come to save us, and in saving us, to gather us back to God himself. And the way that this occurs is through Jesus' death, through the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near or have been gathered by the blood of Christ. Jesus provides for us the forgiveness of sin that excludes us from God's presence. He cancels our debt of sin. He becomes poor so that we might become rich. He brings us to God, a place that we cannot go on our own. There's no amount of work that we can can perform. There's no amount of good that we can do to get to God. We must be carried there by Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes peace with God on our behalf. This is the gospel. This is vital to everything in life. Okay, so if being gathered to God is the resolution to our problem, to our greatest problem, if it's the resolution to our fears, if it's the resolution to all that plagues us, it should come as no surprise that the physical gathering of Christians is vital to our well being, to our growth, to our flourishing as followers of Jesus. So in order for the church to function as a body, as we talked about last week, we must be together. That has to happen. The idea of the church being the church has inherent underneath it the idea that we would gather together, that we would be together, that we would know one another, not just on the surface, but that we would go down deep. We would know what hurts us. We would know the pains that we would walk through with one another, but we wouldn't just know that. We'd have depth of relationship to know that, but we would shoulder that with one another. We would care for each other in those ways. We would share our lives and all that God has gifted to us with one another we would serve one another. And in serving one another, we're embodying the gospel. We're retelling the story of what Jesus has done for us. Those who are in children's rooms right now, they are are embodying the gospel to us by teaching those children and allowing us to have the opportunity to hear in this capacity. All of this, by these individuals running all the tech stuff right here, they are embodying the gospel to us. Jesus has served us, gifted us, given us grace for our good. Now the gathering of Jesus' body, the gathering of Jesus' church, is not just a formal ritual. This is not something that we do because we've always done. It's not just some empty tradition. This occurs for our good, for our building up. It is a necessary part of a Christian's life, a necessary part of a Christian's life. It's not optional. The gathering of Jesus' body is not optional. So think about a basketball player. If there's a basketball player who shows up to practices and to games half of the time, they might view themselves as a part of the team. But the coach of that team will have a very different perspective than that individual. Similarly, a Christian isn't going to show up to the gathering of Jesus' church when it's convenient, half of the time, and expect to be a Christian. So when you read through the New Testament, what you find is that there's no Jesus and me exception, okay? It's not like I can just be like, I've got Jesus, so I don't need the church. They're inseparable. The church is Jesus' body. We need the church. It's vital to everything that we do as followers of Jesus. And I think when we, this idea of the Jesus and me, or that concept, I think this is where our weak ecclesiology shows up. So I used this word ecclesiology last week, okay? It's just a theological word for study of the church or belief about the church, We are shaped by our individualistic culture more than we realize, and for sure more than we would like to admit. When we hear this call that we are dependent on Jesus Church, our flourishing as followers of Jesus is dependent in our engagement, our attachment, close attachment, to Jesus Church, we oftentimes don't like to hear this because we like to be able to decide when we get to be part of the church because we've been conditioned by our preferences. Have it your way is what we're told. And so when we hear this call that we're dependent on the church, it exposes us It reveals things in our hearts that we oftentimes do not like. Now, I'm not saying this to make us feel bad. That's not why I'm saying this. I'm telling all of us this, myself included, that this is what the Bible tells us. And so, if this is what Jesus says, then this is how we should want to submit. And if there are things in us that bristle against this idea well, then it should help us to evaluate what's going on in our hearts. To wrestle with our love for what Jesus loves. Do you love what Jesus loves? Are you investing in the things that Jesus invested in? Are we affectionate and passionate about the things that Jesus was affectionate and passionate About. Until we see Jesus' church as essential to our thriving, we misunderstand Jesus. The church is life and death for Christians. That's not hyperbole, I'm not exaggerating. The church is life and death with all its warts with all its imperfections, with all its lack of technology, it's life and death for Christians. And here's why. Jesus' death on the cross is a saving act. Salvation is a gathering action. Our ongoing gathering together as his church is explicitly tied to Jesus gathering us to himself. Okay, when we leave our homes on a Sunday morning, when we deny our sinful, selfish inclinations to indulge ourselves with hobbies, with preferences, with laziness, when we move towards other Christians, and especially towards other Christians that we disagree with, that we struggle with, that annoy us. And we do this because Jesus instructed to do this. When we do this in faith, we are showing what Jesus has done in our hearts. We have been called out of a tomb and raised to life. Jesus takes us out of our grave of selfishness and he raises us to life in his church. And gathering with Jesus' church is indicative of this. When we gather with Jesus' church, we are delighting in that which is Jesus. We are treasuring his body, even when we don't want to. And if we think about this idea of gathering with Jesus' body, with his church, when we don't want to, we can think of Jesus really closely here. Because right before Jesus is put on the cross, he asks his father if there's any other way. If there's any other way. When we go and gather with Jesus' church when we don't want to, we are embodying the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus did the hard thing. The thing that maybe we would say he didn't want to do for our good. We come when we don't want to, even for the good of others. Another way that we can say all of this is to not gather with the church, is to say with our actions that we have not been gathered to Jesus. To not gather with Jesus' church is to say that we, through our actions, have not been gathered to Jesus. Now, take all of what I just said and understand that with what I said at the beginning of this sermon, acknowledging the fact we are in Pandemic. So a church gathers because it is foundational to everything that we believe and everything that Jesus taught. Aside from specific instructions, the whole premise of the church is based on the idea that we gather together that we are near to one another that we are invested in each other's lives there are so many one another's in the bible and those one another's only make sense when we have proximity to each other's lives so we function as a body we're described as a family this is how the bible talks about the church but there's also specific instructions that we get in the new testament Hebrews ten twenty four and twenty five. Let us consider how to stir up one another, to love, and good works, not neglecting to meet together. There is an explicit, an explicit call for us to be together, to not neglect the meeting together with one another. There's also this idea of modeling that we get in the New Testament Acts two forty two. We find the early church, they devoted themselves to the fellowship or to the gathering. We see this in the early church, but we also see this happening in and around Jesus' life as well. People gathered around Jesus. The sick came to him to be healed. The lost people came to him to be found. And Jesus continually says... Come to me, those who are weary, those who are hungry, those who are children. Come to me. And knowing that the ultimate gathering will be with Jesus himself. Revelation 21.3 says the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And it says in the verses surrounding this, that in that place with Jesus is where we find no tears. There's no death. There's no pain. There's no lack for those who are near Jesus. So Center Church, God has good for us in and through one another. So the call for us here is that we would invest deeply and value highly Jesus' church. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying this is convenient. But this is what Jesus has called us to. And in our gathering, God intends glimpses of his goodness. And in our gatherings together, we encounter his goodness in a variety of ways. Through preaching, we hear his word preached to us, provided we're hearing lots of Jesus and lots of gospel, which is what we're going for here at Center Church. We sing together, and as we sing together, we share the truth of who jesus is we eat together tasting as we take bread and we drink wine or juice we are tasting of god's goodness in remembering his sacrificial death for our sins we serve one another embodying the gospel to each other we remind one another jesus is better than all else jesus is better than all else This is what we need to hear over and over and over because you're going to walk out of here today and you're going to be confronted with food, with a situation, with entertainment, with a purchase, with something. You're going to hear this is what you're looking for. But what we need to hear over and over is Jesus is better jesus is better two points of quick points of gospel application for us this morning first of all jesus is a gatherer jesus is a gatherer this is who he is i think of him going after the one lost sheep i think of jesus praying for forgiveness for those who are standing watch as he dies on the cross. He's praying for forgiveness for those who are killing him. Or the idea that in gathering to himself, he's showing his desire to be with us. Jesus desires to be with you. Despite your sin, despite your failures, he wants to be with you. This is the beauty of the incarnation, the fact that he took on flesh and he became like us. As a gatherer, he wants to be near to us. How kind Jesus is. Mind-blowingly, stunningly kind. He brings us near, gathers us to himself to share good gifts. And we then embody this as we gather together. Jesus is a gatherer. Secondly, then, as we gather, let's value the gospel. What I mean by this is let's not assume the gospel. Let's not assume that we're believing it. Let's not not just assume it's in our back pocket. Let's be explicit about the gospel and talking about it, even if it feels awkward at times. Let's value it highly because the gospel is of first importance. In my efforts to lead this church, I want to hold out the gospel relentlessly. Not to make ourselves feel good, not to pat ourselves on the back, say, oh, we're the gospel people. I do this because I know that this is where our hope must lie. And I want the gospel to shape our hearts. I want the good news of Jesus to shape our lives in every way. So may we cling to the good news of Jesus. May our lives ooze grace and courage because this is who Jesus is. May we seek to gather others to the gospel as Jesus has done for us, as he has gathered us to himself May we be gospel people through and through.